Appreciate it, buddy. Well, it is great to be back. This is the campus uh, that I fell in love at. Drove our minivan through the campus last night with my wife, my three-year-old Carson, my five-year-old Corinne, and said, this is where daddy started thinking about you two. Uh, well, not actually you two, uh, but the process to get you two uh, started on this campus. And meeting my wife, where are your minds at, young people? I just wanted to meet a wife. I don't know. Anyway, showed her the dorms where we stayed and drove around. Love what we see at Liberty. I am, uh, as an alumni, thrilled to call Liberty University uh, my university. Uh, thrilled at what God is doing here, continues to do here. The growth is unbelievable. When I was here in the 90s, we filled up just a little section over there at Convocation, and now to see what uh, takes place here three times a week is amazing. What I want to do today is help prepare you for the rest of the year. Uh, not to feed your mind so much, but to ask you the question, is your heart ready for this year? Is your heart at a place where God's going to do something in your life? Is, is he going to be able to prepare your heart uh, for your future ministry, for your f future job, for your future marriage, for the relationships that you're going to have once you leave this university? Uh, is your heart ready? Because I think in the evangelical church today, uh, the, the heart is starting to come back a little bit, but for many years we would hear things like, don't listen to your emotions. Uh, don't let your heart be your guide. Let the Bible be your guide. And uh, I am a student of classic theology. I, I know my doctrine well, but uh, I have spent much of my life, probably the better part of 27, 28 years of my life, neglecting my heart, filling my head with good knowledge and good studies and, and not nurturing my heart and my emotions, which is what I want to talk to you about today. My favorite passage of Scripture uh, when, whenever I speak to a group, I don't care what I'm speaking on, I, I find a time in the invitation to work in Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I, I like to picture in my mind Solomon sharing with his son much of the Proverbs, but like edging up alongside of his bed at night and saying, Son, I've taught you a lot. I've taught you how to deal with money. I've taught you how to deal with, with your parents. I've taught you how to bring honor to them and honor to others. I've taught you how to embrace wisdom and to flee from foolishness. I've taught you a lot of stuff. But above all of that, I want you to never forget that your life flows from your heart. That every decision you make, every action you take, every word you speak, every reaction that you make, flows from your heart. Many of you met a new roommate this week. And I love college because it's in roommate situations that you'll be laughing one moment and having a good time getting into each other's lives. And really what you're doing is getting into each other's hearts a little bit. And you can go from one moment of laughter to... <sighs> Have you ever wondered why people can just turn it on and off just like that? It's because you've touched something in their heart. 
you, you've brought something back to mind. I was on a college campus earlier this year and I was talking about the open and closed heart and a young lady came up to me afterwards and she said, I want to challenge what you just spoke on. She said, I have a bad relationship with my mom. It's been bad my whole life and I've closed my heart towards her and I want you to know and I want to explain to you in three quick points why it's okay that I do that. And I listened to her. I was very sad about the relationship that she had with her mom but then I explained to her, listen, you only have one heart. You don't have one heart that deals with your mom and another heart that deals with your friends and another heart that deals with God. It's the same heart. You can't have a closed heart towards God and open heart towards others. So what I want to do today is to help you guard your heart. I just want to give you a few simple points. And the first one is that you begin to search your heart. You begin to examine it. You begin to ask yourself this question. Is my heart at the beginning of this year open or closed? Am I at a good place, ready to learn? Is it open or is it closed? The psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. I want to know what's going on in there. Now, I grew up in an independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version-only Baptist church. Okay? I've got a lot of issues. I've got a lot of things in my heart. I came to this campus, and I met a a young lady by the name of Amy Freetag, who now is Amy Cunningham, who she had even a deeper problem. She was a charismatic. I don't know if you've ever tried to bring a charismatic and an independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version Baptist together. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Our children are always going, what? Huh? What? What? I mean, they never know which way to go. And the best way I can explain it is this. When I drive down the road as someone with 22 years of legalism in my past, I see every street sign as law. You don't break it. I was one of those students at Liberty that I read the student policy manual. (laughs) Raise your hand if you read that. Don't you have to read that and sign something? Well, for the eight of you that read it, I want you to know something. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. I see... I see street signs, they're the law, and because I developed this guilt-prone nature early in life, I didn't examine this for 25 years, didn't even examine it while I was at Liberty, but I had a guilt-prone nature, that if the sign said no parking, and did you see that nice, they had all these cool graphics in the announcements when you came in, except the one for parking violations. That was one, do it and we'll tow you. Guess what? That's me, they would tow me, they'd tow me immediately, it would happen in an instant, and I know I'd get caught. Well, for the rest of you and my wife, uh... All street signs are suggestions for other people. That's how my wife used all street signs. Look at that. Oh, you student leaders. Blessings to you this year as you lead this rebel group. Well, so we've had a difficult time, and I'll tell you how that plays out. I have this guilt-prone nature, and it's awful. My wife, she doesn't understand the term guilt. She doesn't live with it at all. She grew up understanding God's grace. I didn't. We were at Disney World this past spring, and there's this little area where you can take your kids and do crafts and play with the princesses, and there's this big sign. It says, no strollers beyond this point. Don't take a stroller past this point. Well, I'm the type, I'm walking with this big double stroller. It's orange. It's got a small Hemi engine in the back, and as I'm pushing this stroller down the way, like I do everything, I see a sign, I stop. My wife gets a little past the sign and she goes, what are you doing? 
I said, the sign says no strollers beyond this point. Then, this is what I love about my wife. She begins to explain to me what they really meant when they put that sign up. (laughs) How many of you are that way? You're reading the manual and you go, you know what the administration really meant when they made that rule? You see, I went to Liberty University in a time where there were a lot more rules. And I remember the days where the girls would go down and knock on the door of their RA to find out what the temperature was to determine whether or not they could wear slacks. And so when I came to Liberty and saw the rules with my upbringing and past, I loved it. Hey, child's play for me. So my wife, she struggled and she goes walking past and she, because she's my number one peer pressure person in life, she goes, come on, you big baby. Come down here to the craft area and play because one, ch- one of our kids was sleeping. Carson was sleeping in the stroller and Corinne wanted to go do crafts. I said, I will not break the rule. For the word of God says, and I usually quote a couple of verses. I quote a couple of verses and we're good to go. And she, she goes down and I just start doing laps around the stroller area, living out God's will, doing the right thing. Well, five minutes later, and this, is this, this has been the, the script in our marriage for 12 years, she pops her head up above this little wall, and she motions to me. She goes, come on, come on. And, and people are going to do this to you on this campus. You're going to abide by the rules, and you're not going to park in those blue diamonds. And your friend, who doesn't own the car, is going to say, park here. Just park here. It ain't no big deal. And for the eight independent fundamental premillennial King James Version only students at this campus, they'll say, no, we're parking at Walmart, we'll take that bus. <laughs> you have buses, we didn't have buses, I love the buses. Well, I give in to a peer pressure, break out into a cold sweat as I pass the big sign that she interpreted for me that said no strollers beyond this point. And I get past the sign and I'm just, I'm shaking. Because remember, if anybody's going to get caught, it's me. And so I go down there, my wife's coloring, and she's just having a great old time, and I'm just looking around, and we're not down there for two minutes. And Cinderella's dopey. He's some 16-year-old with way too much authority who comes walking down to me, and he goes, Sir, did you see the sign? Well, a good independent fundamental premillennial King James Version only Baptist responds with, Yes, I saw the sign. Well, you know what my wife does in moments like that? She disowns me. She acts like she's not even with me. And and she's taught me this. She said, Ted, if you don't make direct eye contact with the person, you'll be okay. This is why we can break all the rules and cross lanes in traffic. If you don't look at the person, when you cut them off, you're fine. You don't see the gestures that they're giving you or the, the words that they're saying to you. And I'm sitting in the car going, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Because that's just my nature. Well, this guy starts quoting me the code and says, you shouldn't be down here. I said, I'll leave at once. And my wife's over on the table coloring like this. I walk up. I'm mad. I'm mad because my wife and her peer pressure talked me into going down there. So I'm rolling around and she comes walking up and she knows because she, and let me tell you something, marriage is God's greatest tool for making you more like Jesus. Because nobody will learn... Did you hear that, Johnny? Marriage is God's greatest tool for making you more like Jesus. Okay, have a seat. 
But because she knows my heart, she has searched my heart as much as I have. We've spent the last four years digging even deeper into our hearts. We don't want communications that's on the level of words and just trying to figure out opinions. We hate that. We want to live on the level of heart-to-heart communication. And so we're walking through the park, and she can tell that I'm somewhat pouting. I'm pouting just a little bit. This is when she gets spiritual. And she puts her hand on my shoulder and she starts rubbing it. She says, Ted, you need to live in the fact that Jesus has set you free. (laughs) You don't need to walk around with this guilt. That little dopey dwarf over there, let me tell you something. He's not God. And she'll start to talk, you know what? I have a guilt-prone nature. I've had events happen in my life that have caused me to uh, lash out at someone. You know, when anger surfaces, it's like a buoy. You can hold it underwater for a little bit of time, and you're going to experience this with your roommate, with friends, with family, that in moments that buoy resurfaces. What I want you to do this year, and what I want you to start right now at the beginning of the year, is to search your heart. Because messages, from the day you were born, messages have been written on your heart. I grew up with the message about God being written on my heart, that he's distant and angry. And my life is to be spent trying to appease him. And if I want to gain his love, there are certain ways I need to act. I need to wear my hair a certain way. I need to wear my clothes a certain way. I need to to carry the right translation. I learned that when you do all of that, God finds favor with you and he loves you more. It wasn't until I came to liberty that I started to understand the truth. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. But that truth started finding its way into my heart and it was at at war with the truth that God's after me, that I'm living in this guilt Messages have been written on you. Everybody in here has a worldview. And you think your worldview is just set up about, well, here's what I believe of God. Here's what I believe of man. Here's what I believe of sin. And you work through all of that. But the, the, it's, the, it's the small messages that have been written on your heart that you've got to search out, that you've got to deal with. I brought some pictures today in the spirit of the Olympics. And before I show you these pictures, these are pictures that you're going to quickly identify what the worldview of these men are. These are... These are gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal going out to husbands who are, are, have a bad worldview about their wife. I brought several of them. Let's look at the third place, husband of the year. Here's a good husband. Honey, I'm going to take me a smoke break. Will you carry this up the hill for me? Okay, ladies, this is someone that didn't, didn't pay attention during dating real well. There are little things, little messages that she was getting. Here's second place. I love this one. Time to go to church, honey. Get in the cart. This is my favorite one. The first place goes to, honey, would you carry the case of beer? Uh, I'm going to get the six-pack. I know it's a little walk home, uh, but this guy's like, I want you to take it. Look how quiet it got. I'm not endorsing beer. I'm just saying it's a picture. Uh, that was in your student policy manual, by the way, for the 4,700 of you that didn't read it. Okay, here's some honorable mentions. I like this next one. Ladies. Hey, hey, yeah, I know, we got new. Listen, listen, 
Before you marry an athlete, you need to find some things out. And I know there are guys here that bike. You got to. And this is my all-time favorite. This one right here, the last slide. <laughs> Honey, it's just the Atlantic, but I know you can get us there. Messages on the heart. How do these guys treat women? Taking it now to a little bit more serious, I brought this along, a picture of a heart and things you may have heard your whole life growing up. Listen, these messages have been written on your heart from parents, from pastors, from coaches, from teachers, from friends, from family, and they may sound something like this. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother who excelled in this area? If you had a brain, you'd be dangerous. You were a mistake. You're just like your dad. Just hearing terms like stupid, idiot, moron. Your mom and I never planned on having you. You need to understand these are the messages that a counselor or a pastor in an office is trying to get to the bottom of. You see, we can deal with all the issues you may have in your life and in your relationships and in your marriage but we're trying to figure out what was said to you over a long period of time that found its way into your wellspring of life or your heart, and then we have to replace it with truth to explain to you that that is a lie. You were not a mistake. Even if your parents didn't plan on you, guess what? Psalm 139 says God did. Parents make mistakes, but God may not make, never makes a mistake, I promise you. And you were not a mistake in his book. It says that all of your days were thought through before you were even conceived. Some of you even heard this one in a group this size. It's, it's hundreds. It's hundreds of people heard this as their father or their uncle or their grandpa or a close family friend acted out inappropriately towards them. They heard, this is how your daddy or this is how I show love and then acted out on you in a criminal way. I deal with husbands all the time who can't understand the barbed wire fence that goes down the middle of the bedroom. Can't understand why intimacy is so hard to gain in their marriage. They can be married 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they never understood this. I dealt last week with a lady, major breakthrough, revival in her heart and in her life. Her husband never knew that he was a father before they got married. Never knew that she conceived a child and got rid of the child prior to their marriage and he never knew about it and she walked around with that guilt every day of her life never finding forgiveness from the Lord never seeking it never walking in it never understanding it a breakthrough in their marriage she didn't realize how an event from 15 years ago could affect her today here are some of the other messages I'm leaving your mother the number of young people who feel that that they're the reason if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. When will you ever learn? But here's how the emotions play out in your heart. Some of you develop feelings that you're worthless, that you don't measure up, that you're defective, that you're humiliated, they're devalued, there's disconnection. All of these emotions are data telling you what's going on. I love in Scripture, Matthew 15, and if you have your Bibles and want to turn there with me, I want to read you a few verses out of there. As we look at the second point, after you've searched your heart and after you've spent time at liberty, finding the messages that have been written on your heart, the lies, you have to begin to replace them with truth. 
And Jesus was always under attack from the Pharisees and many of the teachers of the law. And in Matthew 15, we read this story that some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus goes then into a few verses challenging them in the way they misused and abused the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. They got out of that by saying, yeah, that's something, you know, that's going to keep us from giving to God. They said, you're, you are totally neglecting your responsibility towards your parents. He goes in a little bit further to explain to them that external cleaning or the washing of the hands will never, ever help your heart. He says it this way. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, here's a great teaching moment. Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean, because it is your wellspring. It's your wellspring that shows what is in your heart. And he goes a few verses down in verses 17 through 19. Don't you see, because they still weren't getting it, he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? A little biology lesson. He says, but I'm telling you this, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That is why, as a pastor, as a leader... As a parent one day, you're off the hook from changing the human heart because you can't do it. I can't do it. God is the only one who can change the human heart. And to demonstrate that this morning, I was wondering if I could get four volunteers to make their way up. Maybe from this front row so you can hit the step. Can I get four of you to help me real quick? There's a bold one. Bold number two, bold number three, and bold number four. Make your way up the step. I want you to go ahead and come up these steps right here, and I'm going to have you join me across the front. I want you to picture your heart this morning like this big jug of water and I want you to picture I like to call it my love tank you know what you can do this year when you you see your roommate reacting to something go over put your hand on his shoulder and say can we talk about your love tank just a little bit would that feel weird to you a little bit okay just a little bit all right I it works for me uh but I like to picture it as a wellspring and every day I am pouring into other people Every day, I'm around people, you're around people, you're interacting, you're studying, you're in groups, and I'm going to let them all represent my overflow. And the first one is when I thought, you know what, there's something missing in my life, I think I need to get married. I thought marriage filled a void in my life. Did you hear that, Johnny? I thought marriage filled a void in my life. This is my last time probably speaking here, so I thought I might as well go ahead with it all the way. So I thought, you know what, I got married, and so I pour into my wife. And here's the mistake that we make. Sorry, that was a, you shouldn't have been standing there, but that's all right. It's your cup that's representing my wife, not you. <laughs> Do you know the mistake that we make, and this is point number two, to take responsibility for my emotions? I used to sit around like a big baby in the early years of marriage and all throughout my life waiting for my wife to pour back into me. And when she wouldn't, I'd get frustrated. And I would blame her for the way that I feel. I would play the victim. Well, then we decided, you know what? The marriage is still leaving us somewhat empty, so why don't we have children? So we had our first daughter, Corinne. We, sorry. And 
we were sitting around one night, and I said, you know, Amy, we're so good at this parenting thing, we should bless the earth with more of our children. And so we had Carson. And about a year later, we sat around saying, we think the earth has plenty of children. And so we were done. Okay? And then as a pastor, said, you know what, I'm going to pour into people. And you know what I need? I need a staff. If I can pour into a staff, they can fulfill much of the ministry. It'll be taken care of. And then I got a staff and realized that they sucked the very life right out of you. That's what I learned about the staff. So here I sit. So then, well, friendships, hobbies, and all that, and I start pouring into them. This is just a small word picture of codependence. Codependence says, I'm now going to rely on all these people, places, and things in my life to fill back into me. And until they do that, I won't be happy. Until they give back to me, my life doesn't seem to make much sense. Until you got got to come to grips, and I had to come to grips with this about four years ago. I don't need to wait for them for anything. My source is 100% in the Lord. My heart is my responsibility, not their responsibility. This is codependence waiting on them. Now, it's great to get them, you can pour it all back in. Will you give them a hand and say thank you this morning? Awesome. Thank you, kiddos. Thank you, honey. My pleasure, sweetie. Appreciate it. You know what's worse? I want you to picture, I should have had him leave that out for a second, because here's what's worse. As you pour into people, and as you give to them out of your wellspring, and say it's fresh, clean water, but as events take place in your life, as you don't get the grades you're looking for, as you, you deplete your love tank, I like this to represent anger. I stopped and got this hot sauce. Let this represent all the last, the evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, the things that are roaming around in our heart that maybe haven't been brought to the surface yet and we pour it in and we, and, and we go around and this is what we're now putting into people. You say, well, I showed up with an open heart to campus. I'm ready for God to do something great in my life. And I'm ready, Ted. I would like to think that I'm open to this university filling my love tank to overflowing. I want my love tank filled. I'm there. And here's the deal. You moved in with a roommate who this represents their heart. And you're going to live with it all year. The third point is simply this. Make sure your tank is filled with God's love. Do you realize that you and I, we do not produce one ounce of love. You and I cannot create love. The only love we're able to give out to other people and pour into them is the love that we receive from God. God is love. We love because he first loved us, is what 1 John chapter 4 says. You and I, we don't produce it. We're just able to receive it. And so you know what you get the opportunity to do this year? If you moved in with a roommate who this represents their heart, you're not going to change their heart. It's not your responsibility, but you get to become a treasure hunter. This is, we were talking about this in the back a few moments ago. You get to find out the messages written on their heart. And you don't walk up to them and just start asking them real, but you, you can go in deep. I do this all the time. I love doing it in airports. I was at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport a few months back, and this lady was getting just railed on by the guys in front of me. And, the, you know, the, the airlines were so backed up and packed, and he was screaming at her, using obscenities with her. And she, I could tell she was at the point of tearing up. And she's typing away, you know, they type about 450 words a minute on those little terminals, and they're going back and forth like this. And, I mean, he was just going to town on her, and I knew I missed my flight, and I wanted to get home that night. 
But I thought, well, here's an opportunity. Can I get into her heart? Can I find out what's in her wellspring? Is it depleted? Is there anger? What's going on? So when that guy left the counter, I, I lunged to the counter. I went, hey, so what's going on? She goes, how may I help you, sir? I said, what was that guy's issue? Did he have issues or what? And she goes, sir, how may I help you? I said, where's he going? I wouldn't let her get off the subject. She, she said, well, he's going to Los Angeles. I go, that's where I'm going. I said, wouldn't it be funny for just a minute if we sent his bags to New York City? <laughs> I said, wouldn't that be fun? She smirked for just a brief moment. Sir, you know I can't do that. I go, oh, no, even better than that. I said, I'll get on the next plane with him because we're going to the same place. I'll, with my camera on my phone, film his reaction. <laughs> From the other lady telling him, and she breaks down a little bit in the midst of a hectic day, and then I just ask her, what is your story? It's one way that you can dive into another person's heart. It's probably one of the best ways I know of serving other people is helping them discover the messages written on their heart. And then she went into this story telling me that she has a special needs daughter who is 27 years old, that, they, that be, her work forced her to move. She wasn't able to find a school. And within like two and a half minutes, I got into the depths of her heart and what was really going on. You, think, you see, I think we're way too busy. I, I don't think we have time to work on our own hearts. And what's sad for me at Liberty is some of you have shown up and there's a fire hydrant ready to just get stuck to you and to flush out this heart if you did show up with a heart like this, and it's ready to feed into you for the next eight to nine months in a way you've never been fed in your life. Some of you will resist it. Some of you won't examine your heart. You'll keep your heart closed. Some of you will allow anger and guile and rage and sexual immorality and slander and gossip and all of that to rest in your heart. And it will, it will bounce off of you. You won't be able to receive it, but all it takes, if I had another couple jugs of water up here and started pouring, this would all get replaced. That's what I want for you, and that's what I pray for you this year. As you begin to examine your heart, you begin to understand that, that God can do a work on your heart. The Word of God is living and active. You need to journal, write down. I've seen you spread out all over this campus on hillsides, reading and studying and Many of you are getting even more serious about a quiet time. You start journaling the messages you heard all the time growing up because those fed into your soul and became beliefs. And everything about you flows from those beliefs. And you need new beliefs. You need new understanding of who you are. And if this is your wellspring, I pray. I pray that the fire hydrant of grace, of love, of truth, of knowledge, of wisdom that's going to get hooked up to you in the months to come, your heart will be open to receive it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this school. I thank you for this campus. I have had more than one time in my life had a heart that looked like this. This is my wellspring. I've had all sorts of crazy messages in my heart that have formed beliefs and have been reflected in my behavior. And you have forgiven every behavior You've replaced every bad message, and I continue to work on this with you, with the truth of your word. May every day when I wake up, I pray what the psalmist pray, that you would search me and know my heart. For every student in here, that you would search them and know their hearts. And it is in the name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said...
Amen. Love you guys.